Presented by Four Roses. Alright, what's good? How's everybody doing? Happy December, by the way. This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Four Roses Bourbon. I hope everybody had a really great Thanksgiving. This was the first Thanksgiving in 10 years that I wasn't sleep-deprived, hungover, or burping up mouthfuls of vodka and Red Bull at the dinner table. So I think... This calls for a celebration right now. I think, I think, you know, if you could just get through the holidays sometimes, that calls for a celebration. So, uh, yeah, that's where we're at. I've got five stories today, plus the fastest two minutes in sports. Uh, the stories are titled, Horny Old Hag. Oh, my God, you guys are going to love this one. Happy Holidays, Muslim Ban, Christmas Delivery, and It's Okay to Cry. So... Mentioned I had a pretty good Thanksgiving, woke up on Thursday, I ran a 5K, and I did my weigh-in. So here's the thing, like, I don't run 5Ks on Thanksgiving just to be a tryhard. We really aren't even a family that does it or anything like that. I just, I don't know, I did it one year with my sister. She was like, hey, do you want to do it with me? I was like, yeah, sure. So we did it, and then now it's kind of become like a tradition, and I don't say that because I'm like, oh, I got up and did it on Thanksgiving, blah, 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 blah. Like, no, I just... I, I like to do it because it makes me feel like an athlete, and that makes me feel good about myself. You know what I mean? So if you hate on that, then fuck you. And I'm going to tell you guys, I have weighed in twice in the last six months. Once I at the beginning of June, uh, so I guess three times, once at the beginning of September after three months, and then once two days after Thanksgiving, which could be dangerous. My girlfriend was like, you're going to weigh in two days after Thanksgiving? It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of dicey, right? Uh, yeah, but I behaved. I had a really good Thanksgiving break, and I hope everybody did as well. But uh, yeah, I did it on the Saturday after CrossFit, and uh, I'm really, really, I'm, I'm happy to report that in the last six months, I'm down 39 pounds, if you can believe that. Now, this has been a long journey. Um, I am very self-conscious about my body and um, uh, kind of kind of unnecessarily so. I mean, I did get really, really big there for a little bit this year, um, bigger than I'd ever gotten. You know, I, I remember I weighed in at the beginning of 2019 and I was like 234 pounds and I was like, God, this is awful. This is terrible. I fucking hate myself. I hate my life. And then somehow through the quarantine and through COVID and through a bunch of binge eating in April and May, I ballooned up to 263 pounds. That is the worst I've ever been by 30 pounds. <laughs> like, so it was really bad. I was in really bad shape, really fucking depressed about that, right? And I just decided that I wasn't going to do this shit. Like, I'm not ready to cut out yet, you know? I'm not ready to just be done with it. So... I decided to get really serious about eating better, better than I had been, right? I mean, I was seriously eating out like three meals a day, 
you know, Chick-fil-A at noon and then um, go try the Popeye's chicken sandwich at six and then maybe get a couple blizzards for dinner and then wake up and and do a bunch of bullshit again the next day. That's just no way to live. You, You just, you know, you're just not happy. I wasn't. And so I decided to get really serious about getting back in the gym. I bought new clothes, ones that accommodated my body and that I didn't feel, because it's like a cycle. It's like you feel self-conscious about going to the gym because your clothes don't really fit and you don't want to feel like the fattest person there. But you know that you have to go to the gym in order to lose the weight and you just have to fucking man up or sack up or whatever and do the work. Well, it takes a minute to get into the gym and when you're trying to put on clothes that don't fit you anymore because you've gained a bunch of weight, well, then your confidence is really shot before you even walk in the door because you're like, oh, I, I just can't feel comfortable. I can't feel, you know, and you don't even want to go. So you avoid it and you avoid trying on your clothes and you just fall deeper and deeper and deeper into a depression. That's where I was. That's really where I was. But over the last six months, like I finally, the day that I went and bought like, this is awful, but the, the day that I went and bought a 2XL shirt, you know, I probably, it just fit me more comfortably than the XLs were. The XLs were a little tight and I was a little self-conscious about the way that they fit on my stomach and my my man tits at the time, you know, and I was like, I just can't do it. But the, the finally, like, the day that I got over that barrier and was like, this is where I am. This isn't where I have to be forever, but this is where I am and bought a 2XL shirt one that I could feel comfortable with and have some room to, you know, to kind of like configure the way where I think it, it looks good, you know what I mean? And go into the gym and do my thing and get out. Um, that that was a big day for me. That was a big day for me. And I finally had bought all these clothes and I put it off because I was like, well, I'm just going to lose the weight. I don't want to spend money on these clothes that I'm I'm going to literally try and not fit into a year from now, right? That doesn't make any sense. But eventually, I, I just couldn't get into a groove where I felt comfortable wearing anything that I owned. So I was like, hey, idiot, you have to buy this shit. So I did, and that was in late May, early June. I started going to the gym regularly and tapping back into these parts of me that I haven't felt in a long time, um, being extremely motivated for something. Sometimes in life, you get really comfortable. You get really comfortable, and then you forget what it's like to suffer, and you forget what it's like to to starve and, and, and really have to fucking work for something. And I think that's probably where I was for a while. And over the quarantine and over COVID and just over the last two years of my life, really, um, you know, I, w- I would do these things where I would say, okay, I'm better now. You know, I'm fixed. My depression's gone. And then it might last for a couple weeks. Sometimes it lasted for a couple months. But then eventually I find myself back feeling like, what the fuck? What's going on? Like, why am I here again? And it's been this roller coaster. But, um, and I'm still going through, you know, mood swings and and everything like that. Um, One hit me right after Thanksgiving. You know, I was doing great Thanksgiving week. And then for some reason, I mean, it took me really long to get this one done. And I almost didn't want to do it because I'm like, God, I'm just really not feeling it. But I know that I'll feel better about doing this and being real about this shit a week from now when I look back on it. And I'm kind of uh, have have uh, come back up, you know what I mean? And, and then I'll be like, all right, fine, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I did that despite, you know, and pushed on. Um, but that's where I was. That's, that's really where I was. That's where I am right now, kind of in a weird funk, um, kind of in a, kind of like fighting off some depression vibes. 
Um, but that's where I really was. And six months ago, I just said enough. Enough is enough. I'm, this is no way to fucking live. Like, if I'm going to do this, I might as well just not be here because I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not enjoying anything. I fucking don't want to go outside and do anything with people. I don't want to see anybody because I don't want anybody to see me and how, like, you know. And that's the thing. Like, it, it's, it's, this, it's this really big thing to, to you when you're in it. And you realize, and I realize from the other side of it, like, oh, wait, no one actually cares. No one actually cares as much as we do about our lives, right? And that, that can sometimes be a therapeutic thing to remember because I know when I've seen my friends and if they've picked up weight, you know, sure, you might say something like, man, she really got big or man, he, he kind of ballooned up, didn't he? But it doesn't change the way that I feel about them. It's just like, oh, I noticed this, you know, but I, but I still love the person if I love the person and I still like being around the person if I like being around the person. That doesn't change for me. It's just like, oh, this person looks a little bit differently now. Uh, but to me, I can't, I, can't, I can't enjoy life when I'm like that. I mean, it, it, and, and so it's, it's just, uh, it's not healthy, right? But I, I can healthily report that over the Thanksgiving break, um, this was like my six month mark and I've just been really consistent about, I mean, basically I've been eating the same thing for lunch for the last six months, six slices of Canadian bacon, tearing two pieces of cheese in half and eating a piece and a half of, uh, cheddar cheese, like cutting it into little like strips so that I can have a strip per piece of Canadian bacon with some pretzels and some yellow mustard and that's like 450 calories right there and I do that on a fasted stomach so after I've already worked out in the morning and then come home and eat at noon and then you know have an eating window about of, of about you know 8 to 10 p.m. I'm not too stringent on the intermittent fasting thing it really all comes down to a calorie deficit so Starting off my day without breakfast and eating 450 calories for lunch, that kind of leaves a lot of num a lot of calories to be consumed later on. Should I eat a panini that's a thousand calories or something like that? And that's still underneath like my daily caloric goal uh, that I need to achieve a deficit. And so then I'll continue to lose weight. I mean, it's 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 just math. It's just math. <laughs> I mean, it, you know. And that's what I've been doing. And it's been working, and I've, been, I've started to run more. You know, obviously running a 5K, that's something that I haven't done in a couple years healthily and like really feel good the week after and during and everything. And my body feels really good right now. My body feels really healthy, and I'm really thankful for that. I think that's probably the most important thing that I'm thankful for this year is my body being where it is. And, you know, uh, I was 263 pounds on on June 1st on June 1st and the the picture that I have I posted on Facebook it says 259 pounds that was May 22nd and I was 259 I think 0.6 well and you're going but you say you're 263 pounds yeah the reason I point that out is because May 22nd I still have a full week in May of binge eating three junk meals a day. I'm talking Dunkin' Donuts. I'm talking Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Dairy Queen Blizzards, Buffalo Wild Wings, Five Guys. You know how many fucking calories are in a Five Guy double cheat double bacon cheeseburger and a large Cajun fry? There's like there's like 1500 calories in a large Cajun fry alone. 
It might even be 1,800. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. It's a shit ton. And when you eat that twice a week and you're literally laying around all day, <laughs> again, it's math. It comes back to fucking math, dude. And so I still had another full week of doing that at the end of May. And so by the time I hit June 1st, dude, believe me, every bit of 263 pounds, I was it. Okay? And when I did the weigh-in, on September 1st, end of, uh, it was actually the end of August, like August 29th, I was at 234 pounds, which was a decrease of 29 pounds, 29 pounds in three months. And I said, all right, well, that's great, but I'm not done. You know, I'm, I'm still 234 pounds on September 1st. And I'm like, this is, I'm still, I still can't fit into the clothes that I want to fit into. I'm still not happy when I look in the mirror. This is great. Last three months, that's awesome progress. But now stay consistent. Don't just get too high because you just lost 29 pounds and that's really fucking good. Like that is really good, you know, but keep going. Don't stop. Keep going with it. And so over the last three months and over the next three months, um, from September 1st to November 29th, 28th, I stayed consistent. I stayed in the gym and I kept working at it and I've been running more. Um, I am still eating mainly the same thing. And over the last three months, I've dropped another 10 pounds and I weighed in at 224 pounds two days after Thanksgiving, which is a pretty, that's a pretty great accomplishment. And I felt really good about it because honestly, it's it's close to like it's close to my two year best. Um, at some point during uh, twenty eighteen or nineteen, I was somewhere around like two hundred and seventeen pounds, and that was that was really good, uh, and I felt good. But I'm not stopping um, until I get to somewhere around probably two hundred two hundred five. The best that I ever got. Now I was working in the chains. Uh, out in California, so I was walking literally all day long, moving a bunch of these 45-pound alcohol cases, playing football on the weekends, running half marathons, and I was at like, the lowest that I ever saw on the scale was 173, which I don't think I have any business being around that weight, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I was normally around like 180. I think I was super dehydrated and, and, and might have had rhabdo the day that I weighed in at 173, which felt good, but also, what are you doing to your body, dude? Um, so I was around like 180, and I think it, it, normally I, I I should probably be because I'm I'm like more of a muscular, stocky dude. So I think somewhere between 190 and 205 is my sweet spot. That's what I'm gonna try to accomplish here. That's what I'm going to accomplish. Not fuck fuck trying. I'm going to do that. It's just gonna take me some time. And right now I'm I'm somewhere around 225. In another three months, I hope to be around 215. Um, and even under that, you know, I'm, I'm shooting for, that's, that's the goal, 215, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna fucking do it, if, if for nothing else, but just for my own sense of happiness, because <laughs> that's what's important, that, that's, that's everything to me, and it's fucked up, I, I can't be happy unless I look a certain way, but it, that, it, it just, it, it is what it is, so I'm not gonna live any other way but but being happy and if that means really having to bust my ass for nine months or 12 months uh, then it was all worth it 
And then knowing I'm, I'm, I never want to go back. I never, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how bad the depression gets, I never want to do what I did in, uh, in May and April of this year, just eating it all down. That's just no way to live at all. So yeah, man, down 39 pounds in six months. That's, that's pretty fucking awesome. That's pretty amazing. And I was also really happy because this was also a Thanksgiving break that I didn't go do any binges like I didn't have any like binge drinking episodes which was really nice because you know it it helped that the bars were closed here that really helped uh make it a little bit easier you know I still could have binged at home but I but I chose not to and I and I just I wasn't even trying to do that and I wasn't surrounded by people who were trying to do that either which was really nice and as I've kind of filtered out some of the people from uh the last couple years of my life um it's been really nice not to have that that same kind of, uh, I don't know, just attitude linger. You know what I mean? Like, let's get fucked up. Like, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. But around holidays and around certain traumatic experiences and, and everything, you know, those feelings start to get conjured up. And then it's probably not the best thing to do is, is to uh, cope with it with, with a, an alcoholic binge. And I just avoided that. I, I mean, I just, I just didn't do it. I, I drank a little bit over the, over the break, but uh, nothing like the last ten years. That's what I'm saying. Like every ten, the last ten years, you know, has been like go out. I guess not the last ten years because I'm only 28, and I would have been 21. Um, you know, three years after 18. So like the last seven years, right? Seven or eight years uh, has always been come home or or I'm home. And do something Thanksgiving, uh, like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, always the fattest night at the bars. That was the infamous tin roof thing that went down like however many years ago, uh, my junior year in college, so 2013 or 14, somewhere in there. That's when that happened. Like, And I was just totally carried away with that, and that was a fucking awful experience for myself personally. And so... Um, this was this was like I, I felt really good. I, I mean, I really feel healthy, and I felt really good. Uh, you know, uh, like just basically dominating Thanksgiving, dominating Thanksgiving, and 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 like dominating these feelings of like neglect and abandonment and self loathing. You know, and and like those weren't really there this year, and I'm really fucking thankful for that. I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful for all the writers that I got to connect with over the over the break. Um, I drove uh, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, tried to drive on Black Friday, but it was just so dead. Between people traveling out of the out of the state and between people being at home with their families and between businesses being closed and between stores discouraging people from doing a bunch of Black Friday shopping, uh, it was just really dead. And so I, I got two rides on Friday, Black Friday. And they made this week's podcast. I really connected with some good people, and uh, I really helped some people out, and and I feel really good about that. So just overall, uh, and, and oh, and and this is like you know this is like the effect that we have on people that we fail to realize is like one little thing that we say to somebody can mean so much. And after I had just gotten done running my five k on Thanksgiving morning. I uh, take like the yoga mat and I go out and I had run it at my house since all the gyms were closed and everything and I run it outside and it felt really good on Thanksgiving Day so you know it wasn't too cold 
and I'm just kind of stretching and drinking some water and, and just kind of like loosening up afterwards. And my guy, Tim Schladen, who lives in the neighborhood, is driving by. And Tim is a licensed clinical social worker and he's an addiction specialist. And he is he himself has has uh, been battling addiction, you know, for 30 years and just a really good dude, just a really good ass dude. I've had him on the podcast before and it was a really good conversation, really raw, really deep. Go back and listen to it. Um but, you know, I was just like, how you doing, man? And he was like, good, good, good. You're looking good. And we talked for a minute, and he told me, keep rocking it. And I knew exactly what he meant. I knew exactly what he meant. You know, keep rocking the addiction. Keep rocking the feelings that make you want to reach for the bottle or whatever your addiction is. And when he said that, I said, you too, man. Thank you. Love you. And he had started to drive away, and, and he, he slid his window down, and he said, love you too. <laughs> And I was like, yes, fuck yeah. That's my fucking guy right there, you know? But he said, keep rocking it. And I knew exactly what he meant. He's like, dude, keep it up. You know, you're looking good. You know, when you can tell when somebody's like really kind of glowing. You really can. I mean, that's where the expression comes from. You're glowing, you're glowing. And uh, he said that to me and it, and it really meant a lot. You know, just to, just to comment in passing. But I, I took a lot of, I, I took a lot of energy from that, you know? And went into Thanksgiving Day and, and really had a great day and, and, and a great week. Um, so, yeah, really happy about a lot of that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, a, that's a long kind of intro, but you know what? This is, this is real talk, and this is my podcast, and this is my life. This is my life, and so I'm going to talk about it, and uh, maybe it'll help somebody. and Maybe it, it bores you, but, you know, hey, I don't know what else you want from me, okay? Um, like I said, I try to do the Friday. Usually on Fridays, I'll drive from 1 to 11 p.m. Uh, but I got up, you know, I, I, I went to the gym. I, I did lunch at home. I was on the road by 2 p.m., but it was just dead. It was just dead, the Black Friday, for all the reasons that I just, just listed. So I got to about 4.30. I did two rides. I was on my way to a third. One canceled. And then I was like, well, fuck. Fuck this. I'm, you know, because I, I, I literally sat downtown for 45 minutes on Friday. And nobody was, no no requests. So I was like, okay, it's 4.30. I'm not getting anything. Fuck this. I'm going to go home, watch football. And I watched Stanford Cal, watched Oregon lose. That was a bummer on uh, on that Friday night. And then, uh, you know, business as usual, Saturday morning. Got up, went to, went to work out. I did Thanksgiving at my girlfriend's house. And then on Sunday, I got to hang out at home with my family. We smoked a brisket. Had Thanksgiving round two. That was awesome. I kind of just heated up a bunch of the stuff, and it was great because my uh, I have I have cousins on my mom's side. I don't see any of my dad's side on on any of the holidays and and uh, in any of the year at all. I I don't communicate with anybody on my dad's side of the family. Um, on my mom's side, still get together with. Uh, one family who's they have five kids. A lot of them are really close in age to to me and my brother and my sister, and so uh, always my favorite cousins growing up because we got to see them the most, and they were closest in age to us. And usually they go to Pittsburgh every year to spend with his side of the family. But my aunt and him were like, "Well, we're not going to travel this year." So this was the first year that we got to spend Thanksgiving with them at home and play football with them and watch football and do Thanksgiving dinner. And that was really cool. That was really special. Um, my mom has two other sisters and one of them, 
uh, is married to a pastor, and they've lived in all kinds of obscure places in Kentucky, Paintsville, Pineville, Pikeville, Moorhead, uh, Richmond, and she's an academic. She's a professor, and so she's been able to work at all these different universities and in, in these, you know, tiny little places. And my uncle Bruce is is a pastor, and so they um, they have two kids that are really old, like even older than me, and then they have two kids that are really young. And and we just, I don't know, man. I mean, sometimes you just connect better with other cousins, and it doesn't mean you love the other cousins less. It just means you have more in common with the other ones. I, I can't. As much as my uncle tried to relate to me and took me on this trip when my parents got divorced and had me down and, you know, took me on a hike and kind of talked to me man to man. And, and I fucking love my Uncle Bruce for that. But it's just hard for me to connect with with a really religious kind of silent pastor person. You know, that's just that's just I don't know, man. It was just kind of hard to do. And then uh, I have another aunt and uncle who um they live and have lived all over the Midwest. They were in Minnesota. They they were in, I think, Iowa really early on. They were always in suburbs of Chicago, so that's why we kind of grew up Bears fans. We would get to go up and see them, and that was really cool. And uh, lived in either Michigan or Wisconsin for a while, but um, they don't they don't really come in for Thanksgiving a lot. And since my grandparents have moved down to Florida, you know, they don't come down for Christmas either. So. Thanksgiving the last few years has been kind of a day that I've just celebrated with my brother, my sister, my mom, my stepdad, and uh, usually my stepbrothers were at their at their mom's, and it's just that that we we didn't do a whole lot. You know, my mom would make this big feast for us, but um, but this year was different. This year was different because we had the the Collins and we got to spend it with them, and my girlfriend was there, and that was a, a first for me, I guess, and. Uh, it was it was just a really good week. It was a really good week, and I'm really happy about it. So, just burned 25 minutes opening up about Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope that yours was well. That, like I said, you know, it was it, it, you know the holidays can really be a tough time for a lot of people. The, the holidays can really be a painful reminder of the past, but they don't have to be, you know. And I could have, I could have given into those temptations, you know, if I had it my way sometimes this is this is really real but if i had it my way i would be probably holed up with um uh, uh you know what I, I don't actually know if i want to get that raw i don't know i would be holed up with a couple prostitutes in vegas with a mountain full of coke a lot of vodka red bull and probably some molly and uh and weed and literally just numb myself and distract myself from everything that i'm feeling you know what I mean? And that's not really a healthy way to deal with your issues. That's not a healthy way to cope. That's 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 what I'm fighting. You know what I mean? That that's that's real. That that is real. And when I feel tempted and I and I kind of just want to jump off the deep end, that's that's kind of where it where it goes for me. You know, just have a Charlie Sheen Thanksgiving. And uh you know, that's that's just not that's just not what I'm trying to do. That and I don't need that, you know? Because and and here's the thing too, it's like it's just a lie you tell to yourself, you know? If I do this, then I won't feel it. I won't think about it. But then you end up getting super fucked up, and then you feel it, and then you're like, oh, God, this really sucks now. And then, you know, a week later, you have that, you know, remorse from doing all that. And and <laughs> all of the root issues are still there, you know? You just have chosen to neglect them, but they don't go away. You have to just deal with them. You have to just deal with them. So... Um, I'm choosing to deal with them in in, uh, in healthier ways, 
and uh, it 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 feels really good. It honestly feels really good. And and, and you know, weighing in and, and being down almost forty fucking pounds and fitting back into t-shirts and and jeans and stuff that I haven't been able to fit in for a while, that feels really good. So, um, you know, I I don't know if you can relate to that. If, you know, you my listener, if you if you can relate to that at all, awesome. You know, you're not alone. Um, and the thing is with holidays and everything, it can be really tough, you know, emotionally, but you don't have to, it doesn't have to be bad. You know, it, you, you can feel those things, choose to deal with them in healthy ways and process them and move on. And it doesn't have to be all bad, you know, choose life, choose happiness. And I say that not as somebody that's trying to be like some self-help you know, fucking guy, seminar guy, you know, I, I, I say that as somebody that's literally making these decisions for myself every day and encouraging you to do the same. All right, the stories. I got five stories for you, and then we'll do the fastest two minutes in sports segment at the very end. This story is called a horny old hag. So guys don't really understand what it's like to be hit on, especially aggressively. Women do. Of course women do. Women get hit on all the time. But it's really rare for a guy to get aggressively and and obviously hit on. I mean, you either have to look like Zac Efron or George Clooney or be rich enough that women want to fling themselves at you. Well, for probably 99% of us fellas out there, that ain't us. And flirting is different. Flirting is like Any decent guy with some charm can get a woman to flirt back with him, but to just have women come up and start running game and experience it from the opposite side, a lot of dudes have no clue what that's like. In fact, fellas, let's be real. For most of us, the only time this has ever happened, it was either by a gay guy or an old lady who's running out of time and running out of fucks to give. Now, I've been hit on plenty of dudes before, and that's always very flattering to me. Some guys, they get all macho and they're like, oh, fuck that. You know, I don't want some dude hitting on me, you know, and and they puff their chest out. But I've always taken that as a compliment. Like, isn't that a compliment? If you can appeal to both sexes, that's a compliment, right? That's that's flattering. But that's not who the story is about, okay? This story is not about gay guys. This story is about the horny old hag that tried to seduce me and offer me money for questionable services. We'll call her Wendy. I'm pulling up to this address, and I realize that it's an elderly home. And I pull up to the little carport, and out walks this bellhop-looking gentleman. And I roll down my window, and he says, Benjamin? I say, yep. And he says, okay, I'll go get her. So he goes inside for a minute, and then he comes back walking with this little old lady. She's got grayish white hair, probably 5'3", didn't look to be in that great of shape. She wasn't fat or anything, but she just looked like a little old grandma, right? Well, she gets in and says, hello, and I see that I'm taking her to Diorio's. And on our way there, we're just chatting about this and that, the masks everybody has to wear, if they had any outbreaks in the retirement community that she lived in, all that kind of stuff. And then I ask her, do you have any family, like kids and stuff? I don't have a family and kids. I have brothers. They drive me crazy. How come you never did the family thing? (laughs) Well, 
it just seemed like my brothers had eight ex-wives between them, and I just thought, you know, I don't think I want to get in that tribe. So I had fun. Traveling. Yeah, I had fun. You're speaking my language. That's exactly the life plan that I'm on, too. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I I don't, you know, I don't want to spend money on, like, I want to spend money on my girlfriend or my wife, and I want to spend money on anything that I want to do. I want to be able to do stuff for my friends, but I don't want to have to buy new cleats or worry about public versus private education for a kid. I just want to live selfishly till I die. And this lady busts out laughing. She says, <laughs> well, you are my kind of guy. You could take a MasterCard, can't you? Oh, yeah. Good. Well, I, I've, I've got it in my hand, so if you want it now, you can have it, or, or whenever, you can get it. Now, guys, this, this totally flew right over my head, mainly because I wasn't thinking about what she had just said, okay? I thought she meant, like, does Uber take MasterCard because she wanted to leave me a tip, okay? My mind didn't automatically go to, hey, Ben, this 77-year-old lady just implied that she wants to pay me for sex, you know? Excuse me, you know what I mean? But she fucking did. That's exactly how she was saying it. So here I am thinking that she just made some harmless, innocuous comment about Uber and forms of payment, you know, la-di-da, you know? I'm like, yeah, I take MasterCard. Of course I take MasterCard. I take Venmo, too, if you know what Venmo is. And she didn't, so I explained it. And she was like, nah, I I don't know what that is, but I got my MasterCard, so you're just going to add it up, and I'm just going to give it to you. Okay. (laughs) So we talk about traveling, and we're talking about where she's been, and after a few minutes, she says, you know, you're my first Uber driver. Ever? Ever. Ever, ever. Well, Wendy, I feel bad for you because, honestly, this is the effect that I have on many women, so you're not alone. But after me, your expectations are going to be so high, you're going to live a life of disappointment because no one's ever going to be able to measure up. (laughs) And she just sits there for a second and goes, wow. Pretty powerful statement, huh? Because you're going to get another Ubers and be like, man, she says, I just want you. I just want you. Forget all the other Ubers. (laughs) So we chat for a few more minutes. And as we arrive at Diorio's, I park the car and I kind of turn towards the back seat to make sure that, you know, she has everything, didn't forget her phone or anything. And she gets out okay because she had sat down so slowly. You know, she's 77 years old. This fucking guy helped her into the car. And here I am thinking, you know, here comes goodbye. But this is like closing time for her. Unbeknownst to me, I'm not really realizing it. And and I'll, I'll get to some commentary at the end here. But this is closing time for her, okay? The ride is up, and I'm about to drive away. So she just says, I'm going to fucking go for it. She says, well, I'll get you another time. Sounds good. And then you'll tell me where you want to go. And we'll just have a grand time. <laughs> I said, all right, hey, just give me some vodka Red Bull. I'm good all night. And she stopped. She was opening up the car door. And I and I say these things like as a fucking, I don't know, I just blurt it out. You know, I'm not trying to like, but I just say that. And she's about to open the door. And she stops. She literally has her hand on the handle. And she goes, you and I are two of a kind. 
Oh my gosh, doesn't that sound good? And there's like a second pause where both of us in our head go, did I really just say that? Did they really just say that? And then almost as if on cue to break the silence, we both just start fucking howling with laughter. She's literally cackling, and I'm laughing, thinking what a savage fucking story this is going to be. We're literally sitting in the parking lot laughing at each other, ourselves, the moment, all of it. So she says, you take Red Bull, I take ginger ale, but I got that good vodka, the gray goose. And I'm like, all right, be good, be good, Wendy, be good. Uh, she goes, all right, I won't see you later, right? No, not tonight. Okay, I hate that. But anyways, I really like meeting you, and I think you're a really good guy, and I'm going to give you a big tip. And she hands me a $20 bill, and as she puts it in my hand, she says, so that way you'll say yes when I call. <laughs> And she does she does this cackling laugh again. And again, I can't help myself. I just, you know, I just say this. Well, I cost more for the hour than just $20, but you know, we we could discuss that. She goes, "Oh, I know. Well, we haven't been the whole hour, have we? Because if we had, I'd give you more money. We can talk about that. Or you can come in and have a drink with me." <laughs> swear to God, swear to God. I said, I can't, I can't today, can't do it, no, I can't, I actually, I have got another ride that is waiting on me that I need to get to, okay, okay, well, thanks a lot, no problem, hey, it was fun talking with you, yeah, it was fun being with you too, you're a good man, very sincere, and you make me feel good, <laughs> and finally, finally she gets out after a few more remarks, but seriously, guys, we, we were stopped in front uh, in the parking lot for like seven minutes. And, and like, listen, I'm getting paid no matter what. Like, that clock is running. So if you want to sit there and chat with me before you get out, hey, I'm all for it. I got nowhere else to be. I'm literally getting paid for this, right? But she was legitimately stalling and thinking of things she could ask me so that she could buy herself more time and keep trying to close me. Oh, what kind of car is this? You know? Stuff like that. And look, maybe that was partly my fault. Like, Looking back on it, you know, in retrospect, I guess I could see how that might appear uh, to somebody as though I was kind of leading her on. But to be fair, as if this story right here isn't a resounding endorsement of the statement that I'm about to fucking make, I'm like that with everybody. Literally everybody. Guys, girls, old, young, it doesn't matter. I'm a flirt. I tease, I joke around. I like the play, right? And sometimes I just say things to see what people's reactions are going to be. Even guys, like I, you know, I just, I don't know. I just like, I don't know. Like, it's just funny to me, right? And sometimes I fail to realize though that some people like Wendy take this gentle and meaningless teasing as a legitimate reciprocation of the vibes they're throwing at me. So to me, I'm just saying the shit I would normally say, but to her, she's thinking, all right, girls, we got ourselves a youngin. Hey, either way, it got me a $20 tip. So I guess I knew what I was doing all along. Happy holidays. We'll call this writer Thomas. Thomas is actually a writer that I've had before. He's a single guy, family from South America, and I gave Thomas a ride the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So I said, hey, happy early Thanksgiving. Thank you, thank you, you too. 
A little different this year, right? Oh, very different. But you know what? That's okay because I hate half my family anyways, so I don't want to see them anyways. You know, he goes, there you go, there you go, that's right. You know, he's, he's South American, so I'm trying to do the accent, but, you know, it's, it's not going to be that good, but bear with me. I said, do you have any plans for Thanksgiving? Well, I, I got to work. And this guy I know invited me to his house, but, he, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't want to impose. I said, when you live alone, every holiday is just another day. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I travel a lot, too. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Especially birthdays. Like, they, they just kind of mean something different when you get older and you're single and you're out on your own. And it's just like, you know, you might treat yourself to it. But it's like, you know, it's like, what is this? Yeah, I mean, my job, it takes me a lot out of me but it, it pays me well so as long as I have money to do what I want that's all I need that's the reason I don't have kids man yeah yeah and and, and, I, and I don't have any either and I'm 40 and I don't I don't want it you know some people they're, they're made for kids you know some people the family man this and that but me I don't want it and I can do whatever you know hey you you can get a wife or a girlfriend uh, the only problem is some women they they want to have a kid and then they get in the 30s, and then it's their time. And, and if you don't mind, then, you know, go a different way. It happened to me once, years ago, and I, and I really liked her, but, but she, she wanted a, a family, and, and we were just on different paths. And, you know, it's kind of funny because she got what she wanted, but she divorced now. She wanted kids, and then she got divorced, and I saw her last summer, and she's not really doing well. You know, she didn't want to talk to me because I would have asked how she's doing and I said, well, it sounds like she got the full experience, didn't she? He said, yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. She did it all. She did it all. And honestly, dude, that, that's why like, like my parents got divorced, and I went through a really ugly divorce, and that really shaped my life experience. So now like, I'm thankful for growing up the way that I did because I'm like, I know what I don't want. Like, I don't want any of that. Like, Miss me with all of that bullshit. He said, yeah, yeah, man, same, same happened to me. You know, thank you, thank you. You know, I saw them fighting too much, man. It, it was, it was kind of ugly, and then my mom, she became this, like, nervous wreck, so I, I, I don't want to deal with nothing like this. And the rest of the ride, you know, that, that was pretty much it, the exchange, right? The rest of the ride, we, we just talked, and we just talked as, like, two dudes that felt understood by each other, and we shot this shit about football and his job and... It was just a really good ride. It was just a really good ride. And we told each other happy holidays because, honestly, holidays mean something different for everybody. And for me, Thanksgiving and Christmas have become celebrations of myself, my independence, breaking away and forging my own path. And that's what this guy was all about as well. So it felt really different saying happy holidays to each other because... I think it was like the recognition of kindred spirits. You know what I mean? Like one of those scenes in a movie where where the people walk away like kind of nodding or, or it's like that gif of that dude standing out in the forest and he's like, hey, you know, it's like, I get it, you know? I like that guy. And then you forget all about it and you carry on with the rest of your life. I love those moments. I live for those little moments. But this was, uh, that was a good one. Muslim ban. So on Black Friday, I said that I went out and I tried to drive normal hours. Usually I do like a 1 to 11 p.m. on Friday and get a good mix of people doing stuff during the week, you know, like kind of wrapping a ribbon on their Friday and on their week. And then um, as it gets later on to a Friday night, I get a good mix of people going out to the bars. But because it was Black Friday and because the bars are closed and because people weren't really like hanging out and going like doing different stuff... Um, I think most people were probably wherever they were going to be, like they were there, 
and it was just kind of dead. But I did get two riders on Friday, and one of them was uh, a girl that we're going to call Aaliyah. Now, Aaliyah gets in, and we start talking about Thanksgiving, you know, being the day after Thanksgiving. I asked her what she did for Thanksgiving, and she said, well, I'm not from here, and all of my family lives in Sudan and Saudi Arabia, so basically, we, we, we can't really see anyone. Oh, did you FaceTime with them at least? Um, well, they don't really celebrate Thanksgiving, but they were just like, oh, yeah, they, they don't, they don't really get what's going on, you know? And I said, yeah, I, 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 it, it's kind of a white man's holiday. Oh, really? Yeah, I feel like it is, because I feel like it's, it's like this giant lie. It's like this giant lie of the pilgrims and the white men getting together and eating ceremoniously to cover up mass genocide. And <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of dark, right? But that's the truth. That's real talk. And she goes, exactly, exactly. And and actually, I see a lot of people take it as a cultural thing instead of like what actually happened. Like, like Rihanna posted something about it too. It's a culture thing. And I, I get it. Like I get why so many people celebrate it. It's not like, oh, they don't care about these people, but it 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 just runs in America. And I said, yeah, it's it's tradition. It's tradition, right? Sidebar, okay? Pilgrims and Indians, that's what we were taught in elementary school. Not true, okay? Remember that? With the little headdress made out of construction paper and the feathers and everybody's parents and the handheld 90s digital cameras and that's all lies. That's all lies. What Thanksgiving means to me now and I think what Thanksgiving means to most people in in America is tradition, right? It's family, friends, football, food, fall weather, and central are the themes of togetherness and generosity and gratitude. Everybody can get behind that, and that's why we keep it going. We perpetuate the lie. But upon closer examination, anybody with a brain that chooses to use it can see that the Thanksgiving that we celebrate probably didn't go down the way that we were taught in elementary school, okay? By some chick who was probably a 24-year-old sorority girl, okay? Like, let's let's be honest here, all right? Let's be honest. Uh, who wrote the history in this country books? Pop quiz. The white man, Okay. And how were Native Americans treated upon arrival? Well, the Declaration of Independence describes them as merciless, savage Indians. If, if that gives you just a, an inkling of the attitudes that were held during this time, right? So let's be real. White colonists slaughtered them and stole their land, and to distract from that fact, the myth of Thanksgiving was created. History was whitewashed as it has been time and time and again. There's a lot of people in this country who are offended by Thanksgiving. Did you know that? And you think, how can that be? You're talking about the social fabric of American here. If you don't like it, you can just get out, right? But, but to some, believe it or not, Thanksgiving is a painful reminder of what really happened. And it's a false reality that's been upheld for hundreds of years, generations after generations. It's like Jay-Z said in No Church in the Wild. Lies on the lips of the priests, Thanksgiving disguised as a feast, rolling in the Rolls Royce Kamish, right? Okay? And a lot of this angers white people who are faced to confront these long-held half-truths and examine what we were taught to believe 
And that, that's really hard. That's really hard to stand in front of a mirror and, and not be afraid of what you might find. And people don't like to do that. A lot of people, they don't like to, they don't, they don't choose to ask themselves tough questions about who they are and what they believe because they're afraid of what they might find. So they avoid it and they deflect with anger and they choose to be coaxed back into the normality that they choose to believe in and seek by red-faced pundits screaming on Fox News about the wars on Christmas and Thanksgiving. <laughs> right? I mean, reassurance. That's, that's, what, that's what people seek. That's what we all seek. That's what it is. And this is not the war on Thanksgiving podcast, okay? But this is real talk. And this is what we do. And I got to keep it honest because I'm tired of being subtle. There's some shit we got to be real about when it comes to this country. And this is one of them. And here's the thing, like, I can say all of that and know that I still enjoy Thanksgiving with my family and for the reasons that we all choose to celebrate Thanksgiving, family, food, football, thankfulness. But let's be real about it. That's all I'm saying, okay? Anyways, we keep talking and she was studying psychology. So we talked about that and about where she wanted to go with that wanting to help people and, and be there to talk to people instead of just handing them pills and saying, well, you're better now, as, as we tend to do in this country. And she was saying that she wanted to do that because of how much it helped her when she became depressed in 2018. And I said, well, what, what got you so down in 2018? And she said, well, I've been raised by my aunt for a lot of my life. And she was basically like my second mom, but she passed away in 2018. And because of Trump's Muslim ban, which Sudan was one of the countries affected by this, she wasn't able to leave and go back home to see her family and mourn the death of this woman who had helped raise her. So she said that that hit her really hard because she was like, damn, she's really gone. And I didn't even get to say goodbye because I can't leave the country now because fucking Trump, we literally tried to leave and they told us if you leave, that's it. You can't come back. And we were like, but we have our immigration papers. And they said, doesn't matter because you're not a citizen. If we want to leave with all of our documents and everything, they're going to let us leave, right? Because we're leaving the country. We're gone. But guess what? If we left, they're not going to let us back in. That's what our lawyer said. He said, I can give you the paper that says this is an emergency and you have to leave. But I can tell you guys right now, you're not coming back. I'm telling you, you're not getting back in. So me and my family had to make a really hard decision to just stay without even getting to say goodbye to her. And she said, imagine praying every day and every night, just like maybe that lawyer is going to call me one day and like, hey, your papers are going well, but it never comes. I can only work and eat and have a house and do stuff like this, own a car. It's like I have my social security, but at the same time, I'm Trump made the social security something where you literally just can live, right? But when Obama was there, you could get your social security, eventually your green card, and then eventually your citizenship in three years. So I'm just like, fuck Trump. I'm literally just waiting. I mean, it's always fuck Trump, but now we're just waiting. Hey, you know what? Only a couple more months, you know what I mean? Uh, but that's tough. That's That's really tough. And like, um, you see these people who applauded the Muslim ban when it went into effect, the travel ban and stuff like that, and you think that you're keeping terrorists out 
by doing those things. And and everybody is like, we've turned into this big national estate in America, and you think you're keeping all these terrorists out, but if you if you actually stop and talk to people that maybe don't look like you, and you just start talking to, to just new people, to strangers, you might also start to realize, like, you know some people that this affects. And you start to realize, like, wow, people like Aaliyah and her family aren't terrorists, but they are the families that are being affected by this. And it's kind of like, well, wait, you mean to tell me that regular people that were born in America or have lived here all their lives are being unfairly punished? You start talking to people and you realize that you know somebody affected by this Muslim ban and you're like, wait, you mean that you could have lived here or gone to school here all your life and if you leave, you're gone just like that? For no other reason than just being from one of these places? That's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, it is bullshit. Just something to keep in mind. Christmas delivery. So last week I told a story about a writer named Sherry who's been a labor and delivery nurse for over 12 years. And I called it special delivery. And it was a really interesting story about her making this impromptu stop at a Walgreens to buy some supplies and delivering her daughter-in-law's baby in the backseat of her car. And that was a really great story, but that wasn't the only story that Sherry shared with me. At some point during our conversation, I also asked her, what's the hardest day that you've ever had as a nurse? Do you have one? She thought for a second and she said, yeah, actually I do. I was a labor and delivery nurse for most of my career. And my kids are grown and in their 30s. And one year on Christmas Eve, I noticed on the patient list that it was a friend of my son's that was scheduled to deliver her baby on Christmas Eve via C-section. And it was a baby that was not supposed to live. And so because I knew this person, I volunteered to take her as a patient and deliver a baby that I knew was going to die on Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. That's heavy. And it was heavy. And it was beautiful. And it actually did live for almost three days, but he died. But yeah, to to be able to be with somebody during that, trying to think, this is why you do what you do. I said, did they know that the baby wasn't supposed to make it? They did. They knew that there was a massive chance that it wouldn't. It had a genetic abnormality, and we tried to get them to abort it because we told them very seldomly do they live for even up to a year at most, at most up to a year. And so she actually chose to deliver via C-section early so that her baby could be alive and they could hold it. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I, uh, I said, what did you tell that mother? And she said, um, it was such a blur because, I mean, I had her for several hours, so we had lots of conversations. But I think just to support her, with bonding and all of those things instead of like normally when you see things on the monitors you would intervene but in that situation we didn't because the outcome was not going to be great anyways so why interrupt but they were deeply religious and they had like 40 people in the waiting room praying for that family the entire time during the procedure and they were just a really good example of a rock solid marriage and rock solid faith And they had a little girl a year later, healthy as could be, and a little boy two years later. So she has two, and they live in Texas now, and but 
I think about her every single Christmas Eve, and I think about her and that baby's birthday. What did you know first, that you knew them or that this was a baby that had a low chance of being successfully delivered and and then realized that you knew them? I knew that I knew them because when I saw them on the schedule and and then, you know, I knew that I knew them and, and then I saw their story. And that's why I actually volunteered to do it because in a situation like that, if you've got a familiar face or somebody that you're at least more comfortable around, I mean, I'm probably not the nurse that's best at that kind of thing, but I was the best for her. I mean, I would have much rather had a happy Christmas Eve, but that's where I needed to be. And I said, you know what? I think you're right. I think uh, I think that is where, where you needed to be, you know? And sometimes we have these, these things that uh, come up in life where it's just like you're at the right place at the right time. And you're like, that does, that goes so far for them. And I, I guarantee they, you know, I know that they were so appreciative to have you and feel like they knew somebody, you know, where it wasn't like it was a stranger doing it and they were alone in it. Like you were there for them and you were, you were with them. And that's exactly where you needed to be. You know, that, that happened for a reason for sure. And, uh, it was, uh, I believe in those moments. I I really do. I, I, I truly do. Um, sometimes you can't explain it, you know, but sometimes, Life has a funny way of connecting the dots like that. It's okay to cry. We'll call this writer Sophia. I picked up Sophia from the retail store that she worked at. And we start chatting about the holidays and if she's excited for Christmas. And she was asking about if I was from here, what I'd like to do. And I told her about the podcast and the stories that I get from people, the conversation I have about jobs and addiction and breakups and divorce and tough things that people go through. And she's like, wow, wow, well, I'll have to think of a story for you then. So then I said, now, are you a student? And she said, well, I'm actually not in school right now. I'm just working because my mom was recently diagnosed with cancer. So I'm just trying to help her out right now. And that's actually where I'm going right now. How old are you? 19. That's a lot to shoulder as a 19-year-old. Yeah. What kind of cancer? Uh, it's a stomach cancer. Are they optimistic about it? Yeah, they are. They're doing chemo on Thanksgiving, too. Like, they did chemo on Thanksgiving. They didn't want to stop it. That's pretty much my life right now. Um, Seeing my mom in the hospital and, you know, seeing her around her chemo schedule. But she's doing good with it. At first, it was kind of heavy for her, but now she's doing better. And she also had COVID before that for three months. And then she had a surgery. And then that's actually how they found out that she had cancer. But during that, I guess she kind of woke up. Like she kind of realized a lot of things. And I, I guess that's good. And also, if it wasn't for her getting COVID, she might not have known that she had cancer. So that's good. Wow, what a year you guys have had. Yeah, those times, they help you figure it out. What's important, who you are, stuff like that. And I said, they definitely do. And you know, you have a big part to play in that because at 19 years old, you got to be very strong for her. And that makes you grow up really fast because 
now you're taking on an even more important role in your family because your mom's looking at you for support and for strength. And you got to step up and be strong for her. And I, I get kind of emotional saying that just, just like I just did, you know, like that's, and she goes, yep. And I said, that's, that could be kind of tough, but you know, it's like they say, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And she says, yep. And a few seconds go by and she makes a noise and in my head, I'm going, oh my God, she's crying and she's sniffling and she speaks after a few more seconds and she says, I'm sorry, I'm I'm crying now. What the heck? And I'm like, I'm on the brink of it. Like it's, you know, it's, it's okay. And she said, it's okay. I, I don't really talk about this. I said, it's all right. Let it out. You can let it out. And she's just sniffling and she's crying, like full blown crying. And now at this point, like I'm, I'm like, I'm crying in the front seat. And, and she said, and I keep crying because she can, she says, cause I, I have a younger sister. I have two, but my younger sister, she's in school and stuff and she's trying to do school and she doesn't have a lot of help. And I don't know. I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I just like worry about everybody. And I'm pretty optimistic too, though. I don't know. I feel like it'll be fine. Is she a single mom? Yeah. This is actually my aunt's house we're going to. We had an apartment, but she she hasn't been working, so she couldn't pay for it. Which is honestly probably better because she was pretty lonely at home and now she at least has my aunt. Well, that's good. That's good. That's good. Are you the oldest sister? Yeah. So I've been trying to help out, but it's it's just really hard right now. And I just connected to her like on a human you know, level. Like from my experiences, I'm like, uh, listen, I, Sophia, I was 13 when my parents split up. And like you, I was the oldest. And I really had to step up for my brother and my sister and my mom. And I think one of the most important things to remember is y'all are still going to fight and argue and get mad at each other, you know. But at the end of the day, your siblings really look up to you and they appreciate what you're doing for them, even if they don't always say it. You know that? And one day they'll get older and they'll realize everything you were doing for them. So just stay up, all right? And keep being strong for your family. And she was crying. It was beautiful. It was fucking beautiful. And this is, honestly, this was the first time that I've ever seriously cried with a rider. Like, I, I get emotional, and I kind of get choked up when I'm talking about something really deep with somebody, or I really feel like I'm speaking from a personal place, but I'm giving advice, you know? And when it's in the moment, it's so real and it's just, it's raw and it's emotional. And I, I can still pretty, like, I can recover pretty quickly from that. But something about this girl, man, she just, she really hit me right in the feels. And the fact that she just totally felt comfortable opening up and sharing that with me and we were just having this moment, it was hard not to feel it too, right? But I'm really happy that I was able to connect with her. And hopefully she'll remember those words. And after all, it's it's not every day you get to share a tear with your Uber driver. And before she got out, she was like, wow, 
now I see what you mean. Now I see why why you have a show, you know. And I was like, yeah, that's that's kind of it, you know. It's it's and and like that's that's the like I'll tell people and they'll be like, well, I I don't really have a story, but then I'll start asking them questions and then we'll find I find a story. Everybody has a story, you know. Everybody has a story, and then I get done with it and I, I basically workshop them, and they're like, damn. Oh wow! You just did it! Like wow! Now I see what you know. I see. I see now. But yeah, not every day that uh, you get to open up and and share a tear with your Uber driver. But that's what I'm here for. All right, fastest two minutes in sports. Thanksgiving weekend NFL games just sucked. Honestly, best game of the weekend was Tampa and Kansas City. We got robbed. We kind of got fucked on the uh, Thanksgiving football thing. Steelers and Ravens was supposed to be the Thanksgiving night game and best of the week. But to be honest, um, don't know how Lamar was going to play. It actually just started. I'm taping this. It's 3.43 on a Wednesday. It's been moved and moved and moved. And now at the time of taping this, it, it, it just kicked off. So I'm actually about to go upstairs and watch that. My fantasy teams absolutely went off this week. I had a team score 218 points. I've never seen a team score over 200 before. Like 170 is a lot, and this team scored 218. I had Tariq Hill, he had 58. Derrick Henry, 39. Ridley, Gronkowski, Robbie Anderson, Justin Herbert, all with 16 or better. Washington's defense against the Cowboys easiest stream of all time. They got me 17 points, and I streamed Young Hoi Ku, or as I like to call him, Young Ho. And against the Raiders, he had 21 points. And so, uh, plus a measly little 14 from Chris Carson Monday night, 218. Beautiful. Just beautiful. I also had Antonio Gibson and Will Fuller on a couple teams pop off for 35, but now he's out for six games via banned substance. God damn it, Fuller. I said 170 is a lot, and it is a lot. And I had three other teams explode for 178, 176, and 173. And then another one that's got 142 with Chase Claypool yet to play, uh, just starting to play. So it was a really good week. And I think I'm going to get five of my six teams in the playoffs this year. So I'm pretty happy about that. And hey, it's basketball season in the bluegrass. Things are off to a great start in Lexington, right? <laughs> Richmond? The Richmond fucking Spiders. This is my thing with non-conference games. It's a lose-lose playing these teams. It's literally all downside. If you win, great. It's expected. Honestly, you get shit on if you don't win by a lot. And if you lose, it's a fucking disaster. You might as well sack up and schedule some other real competition, okay? And then another L to Kansas last night. That's respectable at least, but talk about a bad three-point shooting team. Good God. Length is great, but if you shoot like that, <laughs> going to be a long season. And then UofL, I, I haven't even watched them yet. They've been playing a bunch of scrubs, and I could honestly care less about a lot of these basketball games. And honestly, that's probably why my sports show tapered off so much after football season, you know what I mean? But hey, somebody else's problem. I'm just glad I don't have to fake it anymore. Guys, I'm back next week. Please subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at BennyTomp18. Real Talk WBennyT is the Facebook page. And next week, next Wednesday, Uber Stories Part 19. I'll see you then. Be well, my friends. I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.